All right, I want to welcome you to Mount Olive Church today. So glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we've been going through a series called Simon Says, Who Are You Following? And we're going to continue in that series. We just sang, lead me in your love, God's love to those around me. And today, as we continue in our series, we're going to look at one aspect of what that love looks like. If we're to be led by the love of God to those uh, around us. You know, if you are uh, a follower of Jesus, Uh, or not yet a follower of Jesus, but you watch people who are followers of Jesus, or if you're a Christian, or maybe you're like, I'm not a Christian yet, but you watch people who are Christians, undoubtedly in your journey of faith, at some point, you will come across hypocrisy. Hypocrisy within the church, hypocrisy within people who say they are Christians, or say they're followers of Jesus, and yet as you observe their lives, uh, they don't seem to uh, match their lives with what they claim. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge for those of us who call ourselves Christians and say we're followers of Jesus to reconcile that as we see hypocrisy among those who uh, claim to be followers of Jesus. And it's hard if you're on the front end of faith to say, do I want to be in on that faith when people don't seem to live what they say. Now, interestingly, uh, Jesus, uh, when he was on the earth, Jesus never uh, called us to only be a believer. Jesus never, and let me define believer, how we often think of believer in the 21st century in the Western world in English is attesting to or signing under a statement of faith or philosophy, a worldview, saying, I believe, I mentally, cognitively agree with that worldview. If that's what we define as believer, Jesus never called us to be only that. Oh, it includes that. Jesus said, there's some things about me that you're gonna have to believe and agree to in your mind. But it's so much deeper than that. It's so much more than simply signing off on a statement of faith. And Jesus called us to something deeper. Jesus called us to something more than simply being just a believer in the sense of our mind. Now, being a believer is so important. In fact, John's gospel, if you've read the New Testament, John spends his entire time writing the story, the good news of Jesus. And at the end, he says, here's why. So that you may believe Jesus is the son of God. But what did he mean by believe? Was it so you may sign off on a statement of faith? So you may say a prayer at seven years old and then just go live however you want? Or was it something more all-consuming? Belief is so, so important, but what did he mean? Paul kind of works this out for us, actually. In Romans chapter 10, he says this, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Belief matters. But what did he mean by belief? What did he say? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Do you know what Lord means? It means king, it means master. It's all consuming. It's not, I'm just gonna say, hey, this is what I cognitively believe about you. Now I'm gonna go live how I want. There is a all consuming, this is gonna change me. And believe in your heart that God raised him. To believe in your mind only? No, no, no. To believe in your heart. And the next verse, verse 10 says this. For we know that anyone who believes in their heart, it is with your heart that you believe and are saved, are justified. It's not just a mental exercise. 
But sometimes we've made the Christian faith just a mental exercise. The world looks at us and says, you say you believe, but do you actually believe? Because your life needs to follow what you say you believe. It's gotta be bigger and deeper. And this is what Paul was referring to. He says, it is with our heart that we believe. The heart is the seat of the emotions. It's, it's all consuming. It's with our lives that we believe and are justified. So Jesus never called us to only be a believer in the sense of signing off, saying a prayer, and then going to live life. Jesus also never called us to only be a fan of his. I mean, some of us, we, we love to go to church services and raise our hands and that's not bad and sing and say, you know, I'm on the Jesus team. I'm cheering for Jesus like we're in a stadium cheering for, for our guy, our gal, our, our team. Jesus never called us to be only a fan. Yeah, we'll be a fan of Jesus. We're gonna praise him. We're gonna say, Jesus, you're awesome, but it's so much more than only being a fan. And of course, you know this. Jesus never called us to be an imposter a faker, a pretender, saying one thing and then living a completely different lifestyle, deceiving those. And we can do this. We show up in church like, yeah, my life's good. I'm just loving Jesus. And you know this. And then we live a di different lifestyle. It's like we live a, a double standard. We're walking with Jesus and we're saying, hey, all right, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then we go and live however we want later. And Jesus never called us to be that. What Jesus invited us into, Jesus invited us and called us to be an imitator, to do as he does, to be a follower, a disciple, learn from me, and then come live like me. See, I said earlier in the series, you can just come and see. You, you can come to Jesus, you can just come to see. You don't have to believe in him. You don't have to sign anything. You don't even have to change your life. You can just come to see. And that is so true. Jesus invites us, come as you are, but as you journey with Jesus, Jesus is gonna say, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come as you are, just come to see. But as you journey with me, I'm gonna become all consuming and I wanna change you. Not just your words or your mind. I wanna change you fully from the inside out. So come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Allow the person of Jesus to change you as you journey with him. So what does it mean to be a disciple? We've defined a disciple or a follower of Jesus this way. It's kind of our definition. But we said it's growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live if he lived in my shoes in the 21st century. Now, Jesus didn't, right? He lived in the first century as a Jewish man. Few of us are Jewish and none of us live in the first century. So we have to do some interpretation. Say, what would it look like for Jesus to live in my shoes in my job, as a student in my school, as a single mom, as a single dad, whatever it may be, whatever position you find yourself, what would it look like for me to live like him, but I'm not there yet, it's growing. It's movement towards him, growing to be an imitator of him. And this impacts our actions, our identity, and our mission. That's the aim of being a follower of Jesus, to be like Jesus, like him. Actions refers to our behavior. Identity is the core identity of who we are that we receive his identity rather than our old sinful nature. And then thirdly, our mission, our, what we live for, the purpose of our lives comes in line with the mission of Jesus. Well, today we're gonna talk about this area of actions. If we're gonna grow, be changing, be imitating, 
Jesus. What would that look like in our behavior? So if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse one. The apostle Paul wrote this to a group of Christians in the first century in the city of Ephesus. And he said, you've been called to be like Jesus. Now let me work this out for you. And this is what law of the epistles, when you read after, you know, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they kind of start describing, okay, how do we live this out? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And here's how he describes it as it refers and relates to being led by God's love to those around us. Here's some of what it includes. He says this, so follow, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. The word example in the Greek, in your Bible may, may be a different translation. It can be translated example, follow the example of God, or literally be imitators of God. Be imitators, follow the example of God. Be imitators, therefore, as dearly loved children. See, we are not only called to like Jesus, we are called to be like Jesus. And so he says, as, as, follower, or as followers, Follow God's example. Be imitators of your heavenly father. And love what he says next. Therefore, because this is true of you, if you put your faith in Jesus, this is true of you, you are a dearly loved child of your father in heaven. And there's two pictures that come to mind. First of all, children love to imitate their parents, right? Especially when they're young and there's cute stories. And I could tell you stories of my own children and you have cute stories of your children or grandchildren, they just love to imitate. It's like they just want to be like mom or be like dad and they wear their clothes and different things. They just want to imitate their parents. Now, sometimes in my house, my kids imitate the parts of me I wish they wouldn't imitate. It's like, oh, don't do that one. But, you know, they just imitate their parents. And, and, and Paul is saying, listen, you're a child of, of God in heaven. So just like children love to imitate their fathers and mothers, imitate your heavenly father. Be like your father in heaven. And here's the other picture that I love from this. He does not say, follow God's example so that you can be a child of your father in heaven. This is so, so important. We do not get formed and do not uh, work at and work our salvation out with fear and trembling. We do not get formed in the image of Jesus to earn his love. He doesn't say, hey, you need to be changed into the image of Jesus. And if you change enough, then God's going to love you. He says, you already are. There's nothing you can do. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are a loved child of God. There's nothing you can do to earn more love or to let love go. You are a loved child of God. You don't follow God's example to gain love. You follow God's example because you are loved. And out of that position of love, out of being called a child, follow your father, be an imitator of him. He goes on to say, so follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and then walk, walk in the way of love. Okay, so this is what it actually means to follow God's example. When you walk in the way of love, you're following God's example because John actually says this about God. God is love. The very essence of who he is, is love. And so when Paul comes along and says, so walk in the way of love, when you are an imitator of your father in heaven, you can do nothing else but walk in the way of love because that is who God is. So, whoa, 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 okay. God is love, but what does it look like? Define it. How did he? Paul's like, I'm glad you asked. Just as Christ, 
Here's how God showed his love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is the good news of Jesus. That in our sin, we were separated and under the wrath of God. And yet God in his love sent his own son from the comfort of heaven. Jesus was obedient to become human and to become uh, obedient to death on a cross so that we could have our sin forgiven. Though he was perfect, he took our sin on himself and paid the penalty so that we could be declared perfect. This is what God has done for us. This is what God has done for you. Jesus gave himself up. He did not have his own concerns in mind. He left heaven and became flesh and blood because he had your concern in mind. And this is what love looks like. It is not self-centric. It is others first. You know, this verb in the Greek, this is going to get boring, but you're going to, you're going to stay with me, okay? When he, he gave himself up, Paul actually used this exact same verb some verses earlier. This idea of Jesus kind of gave himself up. He gave himself over to this kind of love, which we're to mimic But interestingly, in chapter four, just a few verses earlier in verse 19, Paul uses this exact same verb, to give yourself up or give yourself over to, but he uses it in the context of how we live as humanity apart from God. And apart from God, we give ourselves up also. Now we've been called as children of God to give ourselves up to love, like Jesus gave himself up to love us, but without Christ, without God, humanity gives themselves up to something. And guess what they give themselves up for? Here's what he says in verse 19, same verb. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they, those who are far from God, have given themselves over, same verb. They gave themselves up. They gave themselves over to what? Sensuality. So to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Guess what we give ourselves over to apart from God? Ourselves. All of these are self-centric. Sensuality to please my own self. Impurity to please my own self. Greed is all about self. And Paul comes along and says, whoa, 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 that was your old way. That's how you lived apart from God. But now you used to give yourself up. Now he says, you're children of God. Now you're gonna give yourselves up for something else. You're gonna follow the, uh, the, the you're gonna follow the, the way the, of Jesus and imitate him. And you're still giving yourselves up, but it's for something else. And then Paul, after saying, so walk in the way of love. And we're like, okay, what does love look like? Okay, it's Jesus. And then he says, let me define for you what this looks like. And this is so, so interesting. It's so interesting. It's not how we would define love, but he's just said God is love. Jesus, and you know this, Jesus once was approached by a, uh, a religious leader who kind of said to him, hey, 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 teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? And they all knew there's 613. So which one gets first place? Like which one's most important? And everyone might've thought maybe he'd pick like the number one of the big 10, right? The big 10 commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment because God is love and I'm calling you to walk in the way of love. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you can't separate out the second greatest commandment. It's one commandment with two parts. The way you're gonna love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul comes along and says, so walk in the way of love. Just as Jesus gave himself up and you used to give yourself up, but now you're gonna love God by loving others. So what does that look like? Surprise, surprise, listen to what he says. So you're gonna give yourselves over to love. And this is what it's gonna look like. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy, which means set apart people. You're not living your old way. And this is interesting. What three things does he mention? The exact same three things he mentioned earlier when he used that same verb, to give yourself over. You used to give yourselves over to sensuality, to indulge in every kind of impurity and greed. Now there must not be a hint of sexual immorality nor of any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Because this is the way of love. And some of you may think, how is this love? Because sexual immorality and impurity is always about self. It's not about what's good for the other. When we give ourselves to sexual immorality, when we give ourselves to impurity, and when we give ourselves to greed, we are not thinking other-centric. We're thinking, what is in it for me? And the most loving thing to do as it relates to sexual purity, according to God and his spirit speaking through the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13, verse four, he says, marriage ought to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. And the reason he says that is because the most loving thing you can do in a romantic relationship is honor the marriage and keep the marriage bed pure, which means this. If you're married, your call in the temptation to, to turn towards pornography, fantasy, or extramarital relationships, your call to be a loving person is to honor your own marriage bed and the marriage of them. And if you're not married, to love others well, you are called to honor the future married marriage of the person you're currently dating and to honor your future marriage because it may not be with them and honor their spouse because that's what love does to walk in the way of love. And this isn't because God's down on sex. Some of you are like, oh, I came to church and I wasn't sure. And of course they talk about sex because God just hates sex. Not at all. Do you know what God's down on? Pain. God is down on pain. He wants you to have the most fulfilling sexual relationship. If God's call for you is to be married, the most fulfilling sexual relationship possible. And it's only possible when we live in love. And there's all kinds of temptation and, and absolute bogus falsehood that says, well, you know, we're in a relationship. We got to make sure we're compatible. Or we're in a relationship and, and, and I'm going to show you my love by having premarital sex. No, you tell the person who's pushing you to do that. If you are going to love me, you're going to say no to your own desire and you're going to honor my future marriage. And it may be with you, but it may not be. And so we're waiting. We have been called to honor others and honor ourselves 
Because Jesus called us to love God and love others. And the loving thing to do, according to Paul, who just said, walk in the way of love, giving yourself over to love, is to honor the marriage of others, future or present, by walking in purity. So he says, not even a hint. This is so interesting. Often in our relationships, we're like, how close? Where's the line? And we want to kind of like, how close to the line can I get before I cross the line? And I think Paul's saying, that's the wrong question. The question isn't, how close can I get? The question is, not even a hint, which means this, how can I best honor your future spouse? How can I best honor my future spouse in my romantic relationship right now? How can I best honor? What would it look like to love well? See, according to what Paul has said as it relates to love and imitating God, that following Jesus will always move us from imposter to imitator. From simply saying, yeah, I believe, to actually living it out, including in our relationships. Now, I don't know where this lands with you and some of you are like, this is heavy. Because you've been looking at porn. You've been fantasizing. And some of you have premarital sexual relationships and some of you have extramarital relationships even right now. And there's a piece of you that may be tempted to turn to condemnation. See, I'm such, a, I'm such an idiot. And self-deprecation. And I wanna tell you today, that is not the pathway God is calling you to. In Romans chapter eight, if you've put your faith in Jesus, Romans eight chapter eight verse one says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have failed, it does not make you a failure. You've made a mistake, you have sinned, but there is so much forgiveness to be had. And some of you may be turning to self-condemnation. Some of you, you may be uh, thinking, well, I, I'm done. I may as well just continue in the pathway I've been going because I can't get out. But Romans chapter eight also says this, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That means you don't have to keep going down the same pathway of pain and sin. God has called you a conqueror. And let me share with you the conqueror's pathway to life, the conqueror's pathway out of sin. It's found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, which says this, if we confess our sins, this is the conqueror's pathway out. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, means every single time, and he's just, which means Jesus already paid for it, and will forgive us our sins. And he will purify us, which means erase what was done, but also give us the strength to walk in newness of life. He will make us clean. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. So I wanna invite you today, if you are walking with the sin of greed, the sin of impurity and sexual immorality, that you bring that before your heavenly father and you take the conqueror's pathway out and say, Jesus, you've already paved the way for forgiveness. There is no point in me beating myself up or condemning myself. If you don't condemn me, then I won't either. Go now and leave your life of sin. Would you simply confess that before your Father in heaven? He is good and gracious. I wanna invite you to confess that with another person as well. To bring that with someone else, say, would you walk with me as I journey out? Would you confess? So Paul says, walk in the way of love. 
The way of love is the way of Christ who gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And he says, and this is what it looks like as it relates to purity, sexual immorality, and greed. And we think, well, that was enough. I'm already convicted. He's like, let me keep going. He says, nor, he talks about our language next, related to love, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place for God's people. Now, why would that be a problem? Here's why. Because there is not a whole lot of coarse joking, foolish talk, or obscenity, sanities that honor others. And Jesus has called us to walk in the way of love. And you define any obscenity you've heard. Just give the definition. Is that honoring to you, others, or is it honoring to God? Absolutely not. Foolish talk, not honoring. Coarse joking, not honoring. And so he calls us to a different kind of lifestyle. And, and some of us would be like, Paul, this, you don't live in the real world. If you worked my job and heard the language and, and he'd be like, I know, and as a pastor, I know that sometimes you hear these jokes and they give mental pictures and it's just not easy to get those out of your mind. And you hear words and they just start running through your mind and all of a sudden you're like, man, they're just coming out of my mouth. And, and Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians to, to take every cap, uh, thought captive and wrestle it to the ground. Make it obedient to Jesus. So how do we do this? What's the alternative? It's like, man, I'm filling my mind and, and I'm being filled in my work environment and in my place of uh, my schooling, wherever it is. How do I fill my mind with a new kind of thinking? Here's what Paul says. Rather than giving in to those, here is God's language. You wanna know what it says? But rather, Thanksgiving, and it's Thanksgiving weekend. Wow, who would have thought? But Paul says, this is the annual. Here's, here's why Thanksgiving is so important to God. Because every time you are thankful, guess what you're doing? You're honoring your father in heaven and very likely honoring the people he created. That's what Thanksgiving does. And if we're gonna walk in the way of love, give ourselves up and over to the way of Jesus, we will honor those who are around us by becoming the most thankful people on planet earth. But do you know who this, there's a particular group of people that this is especially hard for. And it's old people. If you're elderly, this is extremely hard. And I know I'm pushing some buttons here today, but, and here's why this is so hard. As an elderly person, it is so easy to complain about politics, the government, young people, the church, the direction of society. As an old person, it is so easy to just complain, complain, complain. And this is a challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna give yourself up for the way of love. What would it look like for you to be a, an elderly person, a senior, who's the most thankful senior in Nehill County? This is a challenge for you. But you know, there is a group of people that this is especially, especially hard for. This whole thankful thing. It's middle-aged people. <laughs> it's true, this is especially hard. I know I'm pushing some buttons here. But it's easy as a middle-aged person just to start complaining about politics and the government and young people and the church and the direction of society. It's just easy to just be filled with complaining. And what would it look like for you as a middle-aged person to give yourself over to love and be the most thankful, honoring others with your language. 
But do you know who this is especially, especially hard for? This is especially hard for young people. And I know I'm pushing some buttons here, young people. But as a young person, it is so easy. It is so easy to complain about politics, the government, the church, old people, <laughs> your parents, society. You get the picture, right? You know why this is so hard? Because our old self is about ourselves. And God has called us to a new kind of living, a new kingdom that's other-centric, that gives ourselves over to love. And every time you're thankful, and today's Thanksgiving, but we're not called to be thankful one day of the year. We are called to live a life of thanksgiving. This is the language of God. This is what he calls us to as we speak, rather than coarse language, rather than joking, rather than hurting others with our language and devaluing others. Be thankful and every time you're thankful, I guarantee you, you will be honoring someone. <laughs> you're gonna be walking in love. And then Paul goes on and he says, here's some negative motivation and here's some positive motivation for living this kind of way. Here's the negative first and I'll go kind of quickly. Not, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person as an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now these three things, they show up again, right? He goes back to what he said earlier. We gave ourselves over in our old self to these things. Now you're in a new kind of living. And when you live this way, guess what? You're an idolater, which means you are worshiping another God. And when you give yourselves over to a immoral a lifestyle, impurity, and greed, guess who your God is? You. You are living for your own sensual desires. And Paul says, you're not an idolater anymore. And when you give yourself over to these things, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, you're missing out on it. Now this isn't saying if you were immoral ones or impure ones or greedy ones, you're out. He's saying this is how if you are living in this trajectory, you're saying, I don't care about you, God. I'm living only for myself and what I can get, you have started to worship yourself and you're missing out on the kingdom. So don't do that. And then he goes on, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient therefore because you are children of God he's writing to followers of Jesus do not be partners with them and when he says partners with them he's not saying don't associate with people who aren't followers of Jesus Paul says that to do that you'd have to leave the world you can't do that what he's saying is don't become one we have been called to bring the gospel to those who don't yet know Jesus but we are not called to be one with them or to partner with them in that deep sense. We are called to be in the world, but separate from the world. So that's the negative motivation. Now he gives the positive motivation. For you were once, this is who you were. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I love, 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 love this. Because we would think Paul would say this to us. You were once darkness, but now try to be the light. Just try to be a better version of the light. If you just work harder, you can be a better version of light. And he does not say this. He makes a declaration to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to look at me right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus says this to you. He says, you are the light. 
You are the light of the world. You are light. It's a declaration. Not try to be a better version of light. And maybe you're looking at your light. You're like, my light's really messy. So is mine. But he's shining through somehow. He says, you are light. In fact, Paul wasn't smoking something. Jesus said the exact same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. And so he says, you are light. So since this is who you are, just live into who you are. You are children. You are the light of the world. So just live into who you are. And here's what the light is. For the, the, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, rightness. That's what righteousness means. Rightness and truth. So find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what it looks like to live in love, walk in the way of love. Because you are a child of the king. You are light. So live into who you are. See, if we could summarize Paul's teaching, following Jesus will always, 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 always move us in the direction of being an imitator. And we can try to fake people out, but you can't fake God out. You can kind of pretend and kind of put a smiley face and show up in church and people really think that you're just, but you can't fake God out. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're walking with him, it will move you in the direction to becoming like him because this is what your father does. He sent his spirit to form you into the image of Christ. So I don't know where this lands with you. I don't know if, if for you there's an area of sexual purity and, and that just hits you and, and God through his word today has just been, it's been impressing on your heart. There's some, some parts of your life where you're an imposter He's calling you to be an imitator. Maybe for you, uh, it's your language. Maybe for you, it's nothing that we read today. But there's something else that God's spirit has been stirring in you. And he's saying, I want, I want to form you into my image. Maybe for you, it, it's general. You know you're just living a double standard life and you come to church and then you live however you want the rest of the week. And, and God's touching you today. I don't know where this lands with you. But I wanna close the service today. Rather than me praying, I wanna close by inviting us all to take the conqueror's pathway out. And we're gonna have some time of corporate com community confession. And, and I don't know where you're at, but let me describe for you the confession because I don't want you to pray something you're not prepared to pray. And after I explain what it is, if you're at a place where you say, I wanna do that, I wanna invite you to pray out loud with me as we pray a confession together. The confession simply says this, God, I have not loved you and I have not loved others. I've not walked in the way of love. I have sinned, but God, you are so good and you're slow to anger and you're a forgiving God. So would you forgive me? And then it ends with a call to commitment. Father, I wanna walk in your image. So would you give me the strength and help me to live into the new image, what you have given me in the person of Jesus. I don't know what specific area is in your mind, but if you're ready to confess that sin that God's been kind of wrestling with you on through this service, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer out loud. And if you're not there, don't be an imposter. Don't simply put some words out there. Don't speak. 
Don't confess something that your heart's not ready to confess. But if you're there, I wanna invite you to pray this out loud as we confess together. And after this prayer, we'll have a time of silence where you can kind of do some uh, individual prayer. And then we're gonna close with a song, thanking God for his grace and committing to him again through singing, okay? So if you're willing and wanting, let's pray this confession out loud together. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong we have done and the good we have left undone. Lord, you are gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. There is always forgiveness with you. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Bind up that which is broken, give light to our minds, strength to our wills, and rest to our souls. Speak to each of us and let your word abide with us until it has formed us into your image. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.